0: You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. one basic hip
1: welcome to the jazz session i'm jason crane this is episode 632 for november 8th 2023 on this episode saxophonist benjamin boone members of the jazz session also get this i dig of you the patreon bonus show on which i ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical that is bringing them joy benjamin talks about talking with his wife you can hear the bonus episode by becoming a member for $5 a month at the join. You'll also get early access to every episode of the show, occasional behind-the-scenes info, and other bonus episodes. Plus, for each episode, I choose one Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that episode. This one was brought to you by Michael Wright, a fabulous human I've actually met out there in the real world. Thanks, Mike. You're a Hoopy Frude. Benjamin Boone's new album is called Caught in the Rhythm. Here's the opening track.
0: It would have been, I think, summer. It would have been August, I think. Somewhere near midway between solstice and equinox, when the tractors move all daylight in mirages of their own thrown dust, and the farmhands come in the back gate at noon, empty, with jars in their hands. Benjamin Boone,
2: welcome
1: to the jazz session. Well, thanks so much, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to have you. You you exist in what can only be described as the Jason Crane Singularity. I love this record. It is a, a continuation of this wonderful project you've been engaged with to take poets and improvised music and put them together. And I guess because you weren't here to talk about the previous albums, I I know this isn't new to you, but it might be new to the listeners of The Jazz Session. So could you kind of take us back to the genesis of these projects? So yes, Jason, I've
2: been interested in literature and reading ever since I was a kid. My oldest brother actually is a longtime professor of English at University of Southern California, a very well-known literary critic. He has his first novel out. His name's Joseph Boone. It's called Furnace Creek. And I love that. I've been friends with authors for a really long time. And so it's very natural that I would then gravitate toward poetry. How my first project came about with U.S. Poet Laureate and Pulitzer Prize winner Philip Levine is that uh, I was in a coffee shop in Asheville, North Carolina, sort of closer to where you are than where I am right now in Fresno, California, for sure. And I was looking for jobs and I saw an ad for California State University, Fresno. Danny Fultz Gray, an author who I was sitting with, said, wait, 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 did you say Fresno? And I said, yeah, Fresno. I don't know anything about Fresno. Was that a decent place? And he said, well, my favorite living poet is the professor of poetry there, Philip Levine. And I hadn't heard of him. And so I started, you know, Danny gave me a lot of his poems. I started reading it. I was like, wow. And Danny said, if they can keep someone like that, it must be a good place. So that's the reason, actually, I applied for the job I have right now. Very long story short, I didn't meet Philip for a really long time. Then an opportunity came up at a, a film festival to do a fundraiser, and we called it The Poetry of Jazz. Philip was reading, Philip Everwine was reading, and they asked me to play music. And of course, I said, well, I've been meaning to meet Philip Levine and collaborate with him. I'll do it, but I want to collaborate with Phil. And so Phil's like, sure, let's do it. And that was the start of it. So that album came out in 2018. Then it was followed up with A Poetry of Jazz Volume 2 then I put out a album I made in Ghana that was instrumental, but then returned to it in 2020 with an array of poets, including Juan Felipe Herrera, who was the U.S. Poet Laureate, and Ta- Taimba Jess and several other people. And then here's this. Here's it looks like number four on the poetry list, Jason. So I must I must like to work with poets and do things that are interdisciplinary and try and weave words and music together. Yeah, it's been
1: since 2018. And I first learned about your poetry projects because Juan Felipe Herrera is one of my favorite poets. And, oh, really? Uh, so yeah. I, when I saw that he had done a project with a musician, I checked that out and then went back through the catalog. This album, Caught in the Rhythm, is uh, more akin to the one that preceded it, where there's a range of poets. And that leads me to wonder, is there a particular kind of poetry or even a particular kind of poet, given that the poets are going to perform these works, that that fits with your conception of this project?
2: Thank you, Jason. Yes, I happen to like story. I've always liked story. And if if you look at most of the, the pieces I've done with Philip Levine, and one reason I think his poetry resonated with me, is that his poetry really bridges the gap between traditional like semi-abstract poetry and storytelling. Some people might, if you paginated it differently and tabbed it differently, some of Philip Levine's poetry could be mistaken for prose because it it is so, so, so story-like, but it also is poetry. And that's very interesting to me. Where is the line between poetry and Pro, some people might say, and I'm sure you have a better answer than I do, that poetry is when you abstract things a little bit, so there can be multiple meanings. But to answer your question, it's, it's do I like the message of the poem? Does it resonate with me emotionally? Does it sound like music would could in any way enhance what the underlying emotional content of the poem is? So in other words, there are several poems that I love, but if I try to put music with it or... I I try for music to to, to interact or or compliment or comment on or something like that. If it distracts from the poem, if it if it gives a meaning that maybe isn't the overarching meaning of the poem, then I won't set the poem, even if I love the poem. So so a central question, the central questions are, is there an emotion or a story that I can relate to in some way? Do I really like it? Does it resonate with me? Would music enhance maybe the emotional quality and maybe add something to the listener's experience of this poem as it's being read that's different than if the poem was read without my music or was read in a book? And if the answer to all of that is yes, then I'll explore it and I'll try to do something. I'll try to do something with it.
0: Hashtag hallelujah to the Hood Witches to the shellac clap backs and neck roll snaps of sisters who snatch tracks and dodge ditches. Hashtag, blessed be they two small kitchens. Blessed be they Dollar Tree Gumbo. Blessed be they Cokes and Hot Cheetos. May the guys smile down and rain money on some of us beaches. Hashtag, I'm different. Descended from the truth, eaters. So I follow Sarah so hardy, buck. She buried herself in the slips of my hips, and now she lives in all the mirrors of my apartment. Now she pats me on the belly and begs for me to feed her, so I search me out there, rude doors. You know, those 6 to oxmen cook me up some fine soup roast, sweet potatoes on parchment, and then I sucked me down to my tails, girl. I, I, I
1: cost them. You made me. Remember many years ago I interviewed Steve Swallow a bassist and composer, Oh man about his work with Robert Creeley who is another of my favorite mm-hmm, poets. Mm-hmm. And one thing I remember this is many years ago so I'm I'm dredging up this memory here but one thing I I I hope I accurately remember Steve saying was that a thing that attracted him to Robert Creeley's poetry was that when Steve read it or heard Creeley read it, it seemed to imply the rhythms that then Steve used in his composition. So that Creeley's poetry suggested music. Is that an experience that, that you resonate with at all? Absolutely, Jason. And in fact, to me,
2: the spoken word doesn't just imply music or suggest music. It really is music. And there's a musicality to speech that I find utterly fascinating. And in fact, I was so... So interested in this topic that for my doctoral dissertation, it's actually called The Music of Words. So it was a musical analysis of American English speech. So I transcribed speech and I took speech data that linguists had and I put it into musical notation. But even more than that, it's thinking about it logarithmically, not linearly. And I found a lot of relationships that are that are really fascinating and interesting and change the way that I listen to how people speak. Music is a form of music making to me. And we can do a deep dive into the science of that and talk about pitch synchrony and rhythmic synchrony. And if you're shaking your head to me right now. And even with the lag between us, you're doing it in rhythm to what I'm saying because English is an isochronous language and I'm accenting the most important words. And that actually coordinates with your eye blinks and your head nods and things like that. And that shows that you're listening to me. It's a form of nonverbal communication. And all of that is embedded in speech. And guess what? Pitch is too. And there's something called pitch synchrony. So I first, I first, realized that when Jelly Roll, I was listening to the Alan Lomax recordings of Jelly Roll Morton in the Folklife Reading Room of the Library of Congress, you know, the famous ones that eventually, this is before they were released. I was there with the, the original tapes and I was listening and Jelly Roll was playing the piano and tinkling every now and then. And I started to notice that the tinkles on his piano were chords and harmonies that aligned with the pitches that he was speaking. Right. And so I started to analyze that and then I started to transcribe it. And then I'll share now 25 years later, I made bootleg recordings of it under the desk and took it to Colt Site, was a researcher of psychology and I think musicology at the University of Maryland at the time. And he had one of the few labs that did something called Fast Fourier transform analysis, which breaks a complex wave down into its individual frequencies. Right. So you can determine fundamental frequency that way. And I told him my theory that Jelly Roll was doing this, that he was staying in a key, that he did a preponderance of perfect fifth leaps, that he did all of these things. Right. And he laughed at me and told me what a fool I was, but that he would run this 10 second thing that I had. And if if it if what I said was true, he'd let me use his laugh. So it took like four or five hours for him to run this 10 seconds through this ancient computer back in 1990 or whenever it was. And he came back and he threw some keys at me and said, you have full use of my lab for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So Um. all of that is to say, I've spent several decades thinking very hard about the musicality of speech. I've had doctoral, I'm sorry, master's students do research on it. Some of my former students are uh, music psychologists now and have done work on this. So to me, when I hear the spoken word, I don't just hear the spoken word. I hear a melodic line and I hear the rhythms. I hear the contour and uh, the key.
1: A few beats sounded out of the earth. Hot in the depths of water. A soft modulation of tam, doom, dam, Like the first beat out of the womb, a call to breathing new air, new breath. Tam, doom, tam. Beckoned me to step on a wax wooden
0: floor, timid, damn, doom, damn. I glided my legs first, the left, slowly tracing an arc.
1: You know, it's interesting because coming at it from the perspective of a poet, I when I'm writing one of the things I do is read the poems aloud as I'm working on them and that's such a useful it, not all poem not all poetry needs to be written this way of course but for me for most of my poems it's a very useful aid because I can just feel rhythmically when something feels off or if it feels like there needs to be one more line here this doesn't feel like closure or and sometimes you want it to feel off kilter or like it ends prematurely but the for me the best way to to know that is to read it aloud and it just has a natural flow and of course i spend the majority of my life talking into a microphone either on the radio or for podcast so the idea of hearing my own voice and knowing how things sound it, that's kind of second nature to me at this point but yeah i find that idea of the it's not just the metric in poetic terms Sound of a poem, but the actual sound sound of a poem, the sonic quality of it, the way the words sound out loud, that's a really useful tool for me as a as a writer. Which seems and to it harmonize. makes a huge difference. It
2: makes an absolute huge difference in how the person is going to be receiving it, either when they hear it spoken, right, or and and what what, what is a good recitation or one that really resonates. It's one where that works. What you just said works, right, and. You can take a wonderful poem and it be read very poorly and it's not working because they're not hearing the rhythm that's in there. And it's not just iambic pentameter or something. It's all of the components that you were talking about. I actually, as you were in your last little little talking segment there, I'm going to challenge the listeners to go back in the podcast and then loop the first five or ten seconds because you did a fabulous melody that firmly established a pitch center, and it was extremely musical. And if the listeners take any small segment of that first maybe 20 seconds of what you just said, they'll hear these little musical fragments if they loop it like three or four times. It was really, you have a wonderful voice, and part of it is you're using your voice in a very musical way. You
1: know, it's interesting because coming at it from the perspective of poet, poet, when I'm writing, one of the things I do is read the poems aloud as I'm working on them. You know, it's interesting because coming at it from the perspective of poet, I, when I'm writing, one of the things I do is read the poems aloud as I'm working on them. You know, the most interesting thing is coming out from the perspective of the poet. I, when I'm writing, one of the things I do is read the poems aloud as I'm working on them. Do you think of yourself as creating musical settings for these poems? Do you think of the poets as another instrument in an ensemble? So it's not so much a setting as it is just another player. I'm curious about how you approach the combination of these two worlds.
2: That is a wonderful question, and that's really an arranging question, and it really depends on the poem. I can tell you that the music and poetry collaborations that don't resonate with me personally are ones where where that's not really taken into consideration, and you're just going to have a groove going on, and the person just does something over the groove, or the music overshadows the poem in certain places, or it really does sound like uh, books on tape reading with just background music or something right and that doesn't interest me personally I really want the music and the the poet to be equal partners in this and that means if you're an equal partner sometimes you let the other one have the Forefront and the other goes in the background so sometimes the music is background but it's not in my mind mere background it's serving some sort of a dramatic function other times music will be in the foreground and the poem will actually be in the background. There are certain moments when I think that that's highly, highly appropriate. And so it really depends on the the poem. But I do think about that a ton, Jason. I do think about that a ton.
1: It's the broken phrases, the fury inside him. You can support what I do and help keep the archives freely available for everyone by becoming a member for five bucks a month. I think supporting things that you like is a pretty cool thing to do. I'm a Patreon supporter of many of the shows that I listen to because people make quality stuff, and I like to reward them for their work. If you feel the same way, you can support this show by becoming a member today at thejazzsession.com slash join. I also write press releases and artist bios and liner notes for musicians. You can find samples at cranewrites.com, and you can get in touch with me if you'd like to use my services. Now back to the episode.
2: Years without playing.
0: Years of blowing out smoke and inhaling fire. Junk and cold turkey. Smacking up. The habit of cooking powder and
2: spoons. The eyedroppers. The spikes. Tracks on both arms. Tattoos. The hospital cells at Fort Worth. The wire cages in the L.A. County. The hole at San Quentin. And always the blunt instrument of sex. The pain bubbling up inside him like a wound.
1: So now I'd like to do that that stepping back a little bit to talk about some of the actual content on the record. And one thing that I like about this record is that it's not... It's not merely this combination, but I think what the the poems that you've selected do is often offer a really pointed and necessary commentary on the world in which we find ourselves socially politically in other ways and given what you've already said about the music in many cases enhancing the message of the poetry, I in in recent, months or even years have tried to focus more on this show on musicians using their platforms to talk about things that matter. It's not what music is required to do, but it is the thing it can do. So I'd love to hear anything you want to say about your approach from a content point of view to the works on this album.
2: Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Jason. I think that we all can say that the the past several years have been a bit tumultuous sociologically and that we're you know different people of different political ilks are examining what they want the country to be and what they want the culture to be in the society and there are some things that have happened that have caused us to really look have to look, look look in the mirror and and make those sorts of decisions and so it was a very very deliberate choice to choose poems for the 2000 and and I'm sorry 2020 album the poets are gathering it really was for me an act of I don't want to necessarily say political statement, but let's say social commentary. And I really did want to pick poems that seem to be relevant to that time in American history. And if nothing else to cause people or give give people something to listen to that would compel them to consider what's going on and maybe see it in a different way. And I think that's one of the things that, that poetry or music or art or dance, any of the creative arts, can serve as an impetus for people just to look at something in a different way and maybe talk about it or think about it. Maybe they go back and when they hear it again, they hear something they didn't hear before that makes them say to themselves, well, maybe I was looking at this situation a little bit naively. Maybe it has more depth and maybe this poem is helping me see it with a little bit more depth. So it's a very, very conscious decision on that album to do that. On the current album, there are still some that make really, really powerful social commentaries. I think that, you know, the the Mississippi 1955, The Hood Witches, uh, what's another one that really does that? Sleep Cast, or Olivia suggests all the women in class, imagine male sexuality, or the dog, what the blank am I going to do with the 20? That's a very powerful social commentary, but I balanced it out with some Funny tracks like Anger Management is just absolutely hysterical to me. Or there's an Emily Dickinson poem. So, yeah, I I think it's a little bit more of a mix on, on this one. There's a quote that I'm trying to remember right now. Yeah, it's by William Carlos Williams. And it's, it is difficult to get the news from poems, yet men die miserably for lack of what is found there.
1: Yeah, which is such a great quote. And I think it's in the liner notes of this of this record as well. One of the poems you did not mention there, one of the tracks I should say you did not mention there that I want to specifically ask you about, and this is purely selfish because he's one of my (laughs) favorite musicians, is the Art Pepper track. Uh, Laurie Pepper, who co-wrote Art's autobiography, Straight Life, and then wrote a book about being married to Art, has been on this show multiple times, and I adore Art Pepper's music. And so I just wanted to ask you to say anything you might care to say and if you tell me there's nothing i would care to say that's fine too but about art pepper or about choosing this poem
2: sure so i'm not an art pepper scholar and quite frankly before this poem was brought to me i i heard art pepper's music like it was in the very very recesses of my mind but it's not like i really salt out you know art pepper's playing i'm not sure why i guess it was cause i was a charlie parker and cannonball adderley fanatic at that time in my life right But so it's not like Art Pepper was on my radar, really. But I did this session with Edward Hirsch in New York, and I asked him, you know, do you have poems that address music in any way or the relationship between music and poetry? Or is there a poem you really think would work with music really well? And he brought he said, oh, I have this poem Art Pepper. And so I read the poem. I started checking out the music a little bit more. And I'm like, wow, I've been missing out. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. You know, it's like. I think I think a lot of musicians maybe maybe he was a little bit overshadowed with among saxophonists, right But I started listening more and I'm like, this is really super stuff. And so I actually recorded that in the studio with with Hirsch in New York. And then I started thinking when I was putting this album together on the first album with Philip Levine, I had guest artists. If there was a poem about a jazz star, I got a guest artist. I just thought that that was a good idea. I had recorded tracks. For all of those and i was happy with what i did but i just thought wow if it if it's about a jazz star there should be a jazz star that's on the track that just seemed right to me it just felt good right and so you know i'd been talking to greg about this project and asked him about it and he he was like i was he was like yeah yeah he did some cool stuff what about this what about this track you know and so I'll he was very that eager that's-
1: Greg Osby that you're referring to. Oh,
2: yes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, Greg Osby. And so he was really thrilled to do it and really got into it. And we had a lot of fun doing that.
1: So I'm really glad that, that Greg said yes. You've created a perfect segue for me, which is to mention that there are a lot of musicians on this record. And sometimes that's just a logistical thing. And if it's something pedestrian like that, that's fine. But I am curious whether you you kind of put together ensembles intentionally based on the work that was being performed, or if you just had a lot of people you wanted to work with, I'm curious how it happened that there are this many people on it, which is great.
2: That's a, that's another great question. And it really, if you think about the album as an entire one entire composition, it really is, is like your question before about what is the role of music versus poetry on each of the tracks. So it really is a, is a, is a, arrangement decision. So it was a conscious decision. And and by the way, your listeners might not be aware, but I spent about 25 years of my life writing concert, uh, you know, new classical music, basically, and concertos and writing for orchestra and orchestration and thinking about how something just fundamentally sounds is part of where my musical brain always goes, right? And so Donald Brown and I both think, think in this way. And if you listen to his piano play and he plays extremely orchestral, like the piano is an orchestra and uses it in that way, just like Duke Ellington, I think, did too, where he uses different ranges almost as a commentary and it it sounds almost like an orchestra. And so he and I agreed that, that, you know, every poem has a different emotional content and has a different message. And if we just say, oh, we're going to use jazz quartet, and it's going to be the same players that approach it the same way, blah 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 blah. Then everything starts to sound the same rather than unique. And since we're using different poets, we picked out musicians that we felt would work with each of the different poets. And then we kept that group, the the core group. We kept it the same for each poet. And then maybe we would add someone or subtract someone or, or something like that. That that was a very conscious decision. And and I think it makes it. So that the album flows in a in a very interesting way because the timbers really change. Like, you know, using Ben Monder and A. L. Mayaz on, you know, two guitarists, right? On certain tracks, no keyboard. And on others, there's a keyboard as the chord. You know, Kenny Werner plays on some tracks with certain poets. It just gives it a different feeling, a different vibe. And the the two guitars really give this ethereal, mystical swirling atmospheric landscape kind of sound that's just I'm just so happy with how those turned out you know and, and that wouldn't have happened if we'd kept the you know kept the core quartet we bring the soul to it
0: make them want uh, the to it, make them wanna rock with it we bring the soul to it make them want to rock with it we bring the soul to it make them want to rock with it we bring the soul to a and make em wanna rock with it We bring the soul to a and make'em wanna rock with it We bring the soul to it, and make' them wanna then make' wanna uh we bring the soul to a then make them wanna rock with it uh, we bring the soul to it Make wanna uh make wanna We bring the soul to it, make him wanna rock with his spit day gold shine Rogers at the nick of time. Look at the whole set, I've working five to nine. Now it's time to ride the bottom. Wrecking with the cool tonight ain't nothing, except the base, rolling down the interstate, make no mistake. We are not faded in Bombay. We make it headway through your city, through your place, Rapping gritty face to face, tracks from the mixtape. back for a figure eight, future for the dictate. If you take a line
1: we are getting close to the end, but I I wanted to ask you a question that I'm asking you purely Because of something I listened to on my walk home from work tonight to do this interview, I was listening to a podcast that I love called Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast by the British radio broadcaster Frank Skinner, which is, first of all, I cannot recommend highly enough to anybody who even has the most passing interest in learning more about poetry. Frank is fabulous. But it was an episode about Philip Larkin. And Frank paraphrased some other writer, I can't remember who it is, who said that. Oh, I think it was Robert Frost. That's who it was. (laughs) You know, a minor American writer. (laughs) Robert (laughs) Frost apparently said something like, and I'm going to now paraphrase a paraphrase. Like, let's say a book of poetry has 10 10 poems in it, that actually there are 11 poems because the 11th one is the entire collection taken as a whole. So I wanted to, to, uh, that, I just, I haven't stopped thinking about that since I heard it like 45 minutes ago. So I just wanted to ask you especially as someone who has spent so much time thinking about arranging and I, and I'm I'm extrapolating from there but I'm guessing also thinking about sequencing in in the in the album sense what does what does that bring up to you that that idea that it let's say the album has 12 tracks there's actually 13 because the album itself is a 13 track I've just sprung that on you but I'd love to hear anything that it brings up for you well, I love that quote and I've never heard it
2: before and it it completely resonates and and rings true to me. I understand that in today's world people go to playlists and you know hear individual tracks and and all of that. I remember my experience as a kid was not, you know, saving up a lot of money so that I could get a certain album and then that that album was listened to from track 1 flip the and then all the way to the end, right? It was a It was an experience like watching a movie. So instead of watching a scene from a movie, you watch the entire movie that there's a there's a through line. Like I'm even thinking not just jazz. Right. But like, you know, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run is a story. The whole thing is this wonderful, almost opera. Right. And if you listen to tracks out of context, it doesn't make as much sense. So. I I love the idea of thinking about that because I think of each of the tracks. There are 13 tracks on the current CD, and I think of each of those as a chapter, a chapter in the story. And I probably spent way too much time and bothered Donald Brown and James Miley, the co-producer, way more than they wished I had, I bet, discussing the order and whether a track flowed into another track and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just love the album experience and I love. And I don't know if anyone today will listen to the whole thing all the way through. I hope they do, because I think that experience is a different experience than just extrapolating one track. And I think a lot of I don't think I'm I'm unique in that. I think there are a ton of musicians that really like the idea of an album and listening to the whole thing.
1: It's so interesting that you say that, because uh, my I have two kids and one of them, uh, my 20 year old son, visited me here last week and we were listening to music together. and some a track came on by a band that I was on a playlist that he was playing and which I quite liked and I said oh is the whole album this good and he said oh I've never heard any of the other songs I just like this one song <laughs> and he said I'm not really an album guy and I thought exactly what you just described which is when I was growing up the albums that I had when I was growing up I know every note every lyric Every line, I know every place, for example, on the things I had on cassette, I know every place where the cassette was a little messed up, so there might be a slight distortion in the sound. There's some (laughs) things I now have heard digitally that when that, like, there's a moment in the album, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis, in the cassette version that I had, it was dubbed off somebody's LP, and when they dubbed it, they accidentally hit the record player and it skipped. And when I hear the digital version where there's no skip right there, it sounds wrong to me. And my kids did not grow up thinking of music as, as albums. And then just to, just to, I don't know about put your fears to rest entirely, but I can in fact guarantee that at least one person has listened to caught in the rhythm all the way through, because I know I have multiple times. So (laughs) I can't speak for any other listeners. I can guarantee that I listen to it as an album because that's how I still, I still listen.
2: Well, see, I, I feel, I feel good. So, okay, so see, you made my day in, in, in multiple ways. So I can tell uh, James and Donald that it was worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> it was uh, completely I'll, worth it. That's right. But I do think and it would be interesting to know what your listeners do and what they think. My guess is most of your listeners like the whole like, like an album and go through the entire album. It's just an interesting difference in culture and society that that. You know, that's the case. We used to write letters that were three pages long, right, handwritten, and we would get them and sit down and read the entire letter. And now we read a couple of sentences, you know, so it's just Absolutely. It's an interesting cultural cultural shift.
1: I will just self-servingly mention that Donald Brown has also been on this show. So if folks want to hear that, they can go in the archives, just search by name, and he's right there. So with all of that said about the fact that the both the previous installment in this series, for lack of a better word, and this one do have political commentary poems. Do you feel any any compulsion to do that? Do you feel like you have any responsibility as a, as a performer or a composer to speak to the world in which we live? Well,
2: I think at least in part, the answer is yes. I do feel a desire to do that, and not in everything that I do. You know, a lot of my music is just music for the sake of music or music for fun or music for a function, functionary music. Right. But at least in some of what I do, and I tell this to the, the composition students here, that at least some of what we do, I think we, we as creators do have an obligation to somehow provide a commentary on what's going around us in the world. In and in a healthy way, there are so many unhealthy expressions that are going on. I think music is a very healthy way to, or poetry is a very healthy way to do that, to to give a avenue to open a door for people to examine what's going on in a way that's different than a talking head, like screaming at you or telling you that someone's evil or something. It's 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 a more thoughtful contemplative way of doing that. And so I think we as artists should embrace that and look at that as a vital and important role in our culture and society.
1: My guest for this episode has been Benjamin Boone. The new album is called Caught in the Rhythm. Ben, it's been such a joy to talk to you. I hope you'll consider the door open to come back anytime. And thank you so much for taking the time to do this episode.
2: Oh, I just really appreciate it, Jason. Really appreciate it.
0: I was angry when the dog pulled my copy of the Genealogy of Morals off the table and shoot on it for a half a day in the alcove before I found out.
1: Thanks to my guest, Benjamin Boone. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram and TikTok at the Jazz Session take a second right now to rate and review the show wherever you listen it greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners i've also got a second podcast called a brief chat it's also an interview show usually although these days i'm also sending out a daily poem from diane de prima's revolutionary letters you can find it at a dot or just search for a brief chat wherever you listen to this podcast If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. If you value what you just heard, please do become a member. It's just five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
2: everybody.
1: Everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.